the chain and everything. Hey, everybody. Good morning. So great to be here. It's Thursday. And welcome to Down to Earth with Harriet Kamek. It's the podcast in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today is Thursday, March 5th. So we're only a couple of days from uh, St. Patrick's Day. And already people are gearing up for St. Patrick's Day. Like I'm seeing green everywhere. But more importantly, I'm seeing more people when you drive past taverns and stuff. I'm seeing more people hanging out. So it looks like it's going to be a great St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> I don't know. I probably will celebrate it as an ode to my some of my ancestors. I do have ancestors who hail from Ireland like a lot of people do. You know how that is. You're multi-ethnic, so your ancestors cover the globe. I mean, if I were to do a DNA sampling Uh, It would be amazing what comes out, just simply amazing. You know, like I said yesterday, we're the family of human faces, and we tend to look like the people who went before us. And I think in a lot of ways, we struggle to understand that, especially now with DNA sampling what it is. Uh, People who are traditionally described as African-American are showing up with much of their ancestry being European. So it is making, it is causing people who, traditionally have always thought that people of European ancestry must look white, it's causing them to rethink race and racism because it just looks different, right? I think it's it's the joke that God has on all of us because he did say love one another. He didn't say to love people only who look like you and sound like you. He said to love one another. And we need to respect the fact that people originate from different parts of the world and that people have different methods of getting here and some of those methods employed and used by their ancestors, whilst some others won't celebrate it, it's still a part of who they are. People are unique. People come from different parts of the world and the influences in their region, their regions influence their habits, their behaviors, their speech patterns, their clothing patterns, what they believe, their religion. We need to have a simple appreciation for that. We're all humans, right? We're all human beings. If DNA sampling is anything, it says 99.5% of human genomes are identical. That means we're all human. That means we're not descendants of animals, nor chimpanzees or apes. In fact, people who espouse and continue to espouse that kind of language today sound really idiotic in the face of science, which explains why some people don't even like science, because they don't like the facts. Well, one of the things we're going to talk about today are the facts. The facts are that women who are starting businesses today are mostly black. And this is research that was done by American Express that was published on CNBC's website. And I found it tremendously intriguing because I am one of those women. I'm a minority-owned business and a small woman-owned business. I operate Harry Kemet Media that sells books. I travel and speak, right? I'm a duly registered corporation in the state of Michigan and duly registered with the IRS. I also operate a nonprofit, the Exodus Foundation, that provides relief services to victims of human trafficking. So there I go. And my corporations were birthed out of a need identified in the community. For instance, the Exodus Foundation was birthed because I saw that we were derelict in our duty in providing services to victims of human trafficking who had largely 
been exposed to trafficking from an early age and who as adults found themselves without help and without resources. So I went across the state of Michigan talking to stakeholders and talking to others to find out what were the specific needs of this uh, population. At the time, I had my own money. I had my own funds. I was self-funded and I went to find out what people needed. And then I thought about setting up a shelter to provide services. I operate through Harry Kiamak Media. I operate Down to Earth Podcast. Prior to it being called Down to Earth, it was the Harry Kamek show that was heard on radio. It was a syndicated radio show that was heard in Kentucky, Cincinnati, Ohio, and Detroit, Michigan. It was worldwide. If you logged into the World Wide Web, you could find me uh, also on Blog Talk Radio. I've been podcasting since 2009. So when you look at it, We've been at the game, and part of that, too, was that I found that there were not many opportunities for women like myself. I couldn't move forward. There was a glass ceiling. I'm an immigrant. I'm a woman. I didn't have a college degree. Kind of closed the door to the opportunities that I would have been exposed to. And even for women with college degrees who find that they can only go so far, because I'm an immigrant, I kind of didn't see boundaries. I'm just going to freely admit that. I didn't see that there would be some doors that would be closed to funding. I thought it operated like the country where I grew up. So if I went into the bank with a good idea and they could see the projections and they could see that, no, they wouldn't do it. So I wrote grants for my nonprofit. And it was actually a white woman who told me they're going to give me the money because I don't look like the women who were granting the grants. A young black man sat me down gently one day and said, this is why they're not giving you the money. They're a small club. They're made up of white women who sit in a room and determine that they're not going to empower black women. It was crushing and it was hurtful, but it was nonetheless true. I had to shake it off and continue to find ways to fund my nonprofit. I mean, it explained why I was oblivious to the sarcasm directed at me from white women who looked like, you must be out of your mind to think we're going to support you. You must be out of your mind to think that we're going to promote you. I mean, a friend, she wasn't a friend, she was a partner who decided that her organization could partner with me with the Exodus Foundation. They were actually going to pay us a fee to operate our shelter uh, so that they could provide, uh, they could have a space to house victims of trafficking. Uh, pursuant to that, uh, the people, the owners of the business, it's called Wayne County Safe here in, in Wayne County, Michigan, right? They got $5 million from Mariska Hargitay to operate uh, business, to operate uh, rape kits. Remember all that controversy about opening rape kits that sent people to jail because they couldn't, the Detroit Police Department said they didn't have the resources to examine and investigate rape cases? Well, this company, Wynn County Safe, got a, a, a grant of $5 million under the Obama administration to investigate rape kits. Well, that's what Mariska Hargitay said. She said the White House gave her $5 million. So this Wayne County Safe is operated by a white woman. At the time, one of her uh, uh, employees, uh, whom I encountered, uh, said, we could partner with you to operate 
uh, to, to provide you with resources to help you uh, stay afloat so you could provide, uh, continue to provide housing and release services to victims of human trafficking. So she organized for them to come and visit with me. When they came, I, I was oblivious to the undercurrents of racism that were there. I didn't put it into context and understand it. But after they left, suddenly the, the, the agreement that we had crafted and worked out disappeared. Nobody would take my calls. Nobody would answer my emails. Then the young woman who worked with them, she was fired summarily. She was dismissed. She was let go. And then I understood what it was. It was just racism. I, I didn't see that part of it. All I saw was we are trying to help other women who can't help themselves. I didn't look at it from the perspective that white women were looking at me as a woman of color and determining that I would, they would not support me, not because I didn't have a workable plan, not because I was taking the money and going to buy Prada and Gucci. They actually came to the shelter, saw that it was set up, saw the beds, the kitchen, everything that was needed in it. I didn't need their money to buy beds. I didn't need their money to buy plates. I did, all I needed was them to send the bodies, send the people. I had the therapy agreement set up. I had my program outlined, and they worked against it. That is the extent of racism. So a lot of women, a lot of minority women who are attempting to get into business encounter this problem of capital, can't get access to capital. Access to capital is often denied simply on the basis of color. And I'm going to say it one more time. Access to capital is denied on the basis of color. And because of color and colorism, racism, colorism, minority women, by and large, <coughs> excuse me, are denied access to capital. This is very shocking because most of you are part of the establishment. And you tend to think that nobody wants to come to terms or have a come to Jesus moment to recognize that I still judge people based on their color, that I judge people not based on what they do or who they are, but based on their color. So you will meet all kinds of miscreants who look like you, but you grieve them, love on them, and even make them walk out with money and will give them funding simply because you don't like the color of my skin. I'm just here to tell you that. I'm just telling you that these are the facts. So this study, listen to this. I'm going to give you some facts to back this up because I didn't realize the extent to which this would have affected me. And when I hired a grant writer in 2017, she's white, and I hired her because they told me she was the best at writing grants for human trafficking. They told me she had a success story and that she could do this. And she told me, frankly, she said, none of these grants you're writing, they're going to give you the money. She said, they're not going to give you. And I said, why wouldn't they? And she said, Harriet, look at me. They're not going to give you. And I could not see beyond the denial that it, I thought that she was nuts to say that. What she was saying is they weren't going to give me because I'm a black woman. And this stigmatizes women and it prevents a lot more entrepreneurs from going into business. And the reasons that most black women go into business is because what? You work in an environment where you are, you are controlled, where it's male-dominated, or it's dominated by white and male, or it's dominated by white and female, and women of color can't advance. They are 
they're they're uh, qualified, they're educated in the field, they're specialists in the field, and they still can't advance, not because they lack the qualifications or they lack the experience, but because they're, they're because of their color. So I'm going to read to you what CNBC said on their website. You can go look it up. Uh, black women are launching the most startups in America far from Silicon Valley. So most of us associate the term startups with Silicon Valley. Well, straight out of Silicon Valley, and there are black women in tech who are in Silicon Valley and who can't get funding because it's a male-dominated experience, right? Black women are starting business at the fastest clip of any racial group, according to research by American Express. Since 2007, the number of firms owned by Black American women has grown by, wait for it, 164%. Since 2007, the number of firms owned by African American women has grown by over 164%. Despite the hustle, minority women are being shut out when it comes to access to capital. Since 2007, the number of firms owned by African-American women, black women, has grown by 164%. People are graduating from college with degrees, with the training, with the education, and still can't get a job as an attorney, still can't get a job as an engineer, by and large. This is right across the board, right across the spectrum in the United States. And people want to talk to me about foolishness? Shut up. Don't come tell me about the handmade tale because I'm going to cook you with these facts. Minority women are shut out when it comes to capital, according to the Federal Reserve System. Even the feds have the facts. The Federal Reserve System in a 2016 report and a small business credit survey found that minority women are shut out when it comes to capital. All my God, you still want to have this conversation with me and tell me it's not about color? Still want to have this conversation? I told you at the beginning how I was shut out of funding by Wayne County Safe, run by a white woman who determined that she would not do business with me. You can't, you can't, you can't, can't. She did have, in all truth, she did have one of the persons whom she did business with, but they were providing services to rape, to rape victims, to victims of rape. And they were terrified. They wouldn't side with me. They wouldn't talk to me because they knew the woman was going to be, she was terrified she would lose her funding. And the only reason why they probably did business with her is because what? For Wayne County safe to proliferate and to justify why they got federal money, they had to say they partner with black women in the city of Detroit. Women and minority-owned business owners are denied loans to pay, I kid you not, this is no joke, to, and listen to this, and pay higher interest rates than whites. Women and minority business owners are denied loans and pay higher interest rates than whites. These are the facts. This is not something that is made up for an election year. These are the facts. American Express says since 2007, 
black women have started more businesses and have owned more firms by 164%. That's something for all of us to perhaps marinate on and think about for just one second. Because when you look beyond, it seems to me that no matter how we try, people still see you beyond the spectrum of color. This report go on, goes on to say that even when you're factoring things like credit scores, black women are still shut out of accessing credit. And when they do, they don't get credit. So they have to go find non-traditional ways. In fact, in the story, there was a woman who started a shea butter business. She's, uh, she's from Nigeria. And she started a shea butter business and went to the banks in her local community. Now, by the time she went to the bank, she had a following, right? She was selling it at the local farmer's market. People were coming and buying it and buying it and buying it. She went to the banks with all the sales projections. The local banks would not give her any money. She had to raise the capital another way to go find it. She had to borrow money from friends and raise the capital another way to start her shea business even though she had her shape products and all the components. And I'm going to tell you some of the reasons why. These are cultural phenomena. These are cultural phenomena. And until we overcome this obstacle of colorism and racism, this is going to continue. And we've got to get to the bottom of it because it's not worthy of our presence. Sometimes, like I was explaining to my daughter yesterday, we fight so many battles that you get so tired that sometimes you look like you're knocked off for the count, but you really aren't. You're just fighting battles. This is the thing with being black and being a minority in America. You're always in a battle. Whether you take it on or not, some people say, well, I just ignore it. Yeah, and then you, you feel like a fool or you're treated like a fool most of the time. Some people say, just for the love of God, just to exist, I can't pay attention to all of that. That's what some people say until they encounter it. Recently, a friend of mine last year was running for position within an entrenched, acknowledged racist organization. And because of what she had done for them, she thought that they would have just handed her the position or given it to her. No, she had to go run for it and campaign for it. And that's when she encountered the fiercest racism of her time. She said it broke her. It defeated her. I knew she was going through hell. But she would not come out publicly and acknowledge that it's racism. Because I guess for her to acknowledge that it's racism would actually do what? Would be self-harming. Do you see what I'm saying? Different people, different strokes for different folks. There are people like me who vocalize it, talk about it. And there are people who... Don't talk about it, though it hurts and cuts deep within a night. This is the same woman whose uncle was lynched back in Alabama. Her mother's brother was lynched. Her family, her parents actually, ran to Michigan to get away from the Jim Crow laws of the South in the 1940s. Go figure. Fast forward. It's 2020. And she's running for a position within their organization. And the racism that her family ran away from in Alabama, still present, still there today. That's how endemic and institutionalized racism is. And it is silly because she has a lot to contribute. No one can deny that she doesn't have a lot to contribute. She has a lot to contribute. She could do a lot for their organization, but they keep seeing her. There are still members and people within the hierarchy who still see her through the lens of color. 
So they're blinded by the color and can't see beyond the color and can't see how much she could help them to overcome that very barrier. That's what racism is. It blinds us to who we are connected to. Colorism blinds us to who can connect us. And until I experienced this myself, I would never have known how deep this was. If, if, I, if I had just stayed in my own way field and just continued working, I probably would not have encountered it. So I would not see it as an obstacle and see it verifiable, that it's a verifiable experience of Black women and Black people in America. I would not have seen it as part of the African-American experience because the, the, the black experience in America, believe me, is like no other. It is like no other. And it completely is in defiance of the way that I was raised and the way that I grew up, believing that there are no limits and that there are no barriers that I can do and become whatever I choose to be and what I want to be. Luckily, I had had that early upbringing because it's helped me a lot. Otherwise, I would have quit and given up. To this day, raising funds as a black woman, if I were a white woman and I come on this broadcast and ask you to donate, without, with, with impunity, you would just say, hey, yeah, sure. But because I'm a black woman, you doubt the veracity. You've been socialized to believe that what I say is not true. Even though you can look behind me and see a picture of the house, and you can go on a website and see if you still doubt that it's a black woman who did that. Because you've been inherently, you've been, the prejudice in, in you tells you that black people can't do that. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've encountered that. They doubt the veracity of what you say because they don't believe inherently that you're capable of espousing or intellectualizing concepts that they think is primarily confined to only people who look and sound like them. It is the most absurd, ridiculous idea I have ever heard. And I'll tell you this, that this landscape is changing. I'll tell you what, it is changing. Because people of color are making money now and are helping other people of color. And I'm going to prove it to you in just a bit. Because this kind of foolishness, guess what? It has no place in our society. Let me read you some stuff, some facts. Despite the hustle, minority women are, be, are being shut out when it comes to access to capital. They're growing in business, but they're still denied credit. Minority women are shut out when it comes to capital, according to the Federal Reserve System. They're less likely to, relieve, to receive some or all of the funding they requested. I applied for a grant to the OVC College of Funding. There are other people I know who got it, but they knew Omarosa. So Omarosa set it up. Omarosa was in the White House at the time she set it up. So when they tell you, oh, this doesn't happen, they knew somebody within the system who helped push it through and made it grind out. Women and minority, uh, minority business owners are denied loans and pay a higher interest rate even when credit scores are good. Check this out. In venture capital, men get the lion's share of the funding, right? 2% of the, 
of the capital going to U.S.-based female owners and founders, according to PitchBook, that's a research group, right? Of the 2% that women get of the venture capital funds that are available, women of color get only a fraction. So women in general get only 2% of venture capital funds. Therefore, women of color only get a fraction. So what happened was there is an uptick. After, after some time, after over 50 years, people began to realize that this has to change. So women of color, so other people have decided to help women of color to emerge. So there is an uptick. So I'm going to give you some, uh, some, some funding locations or funding sites for black women, black women, te- black women tech talk, black girl ventures. I love that one. 100 million new voices, <laughs> uh, 26 to 5, 26 million backstage capital funds. So these are organizations that were formed primarily to help black women access funding for their niche markets. Now, why the thing with black women and minority women and black women and Latina women especially, by the time they come up with an idea, they can tell you how they're going to execute the idea. You know why? They've done the research. They have their experience, right? So they have the experience because they have identified the need that exists and have been supplying that need and fulfilling that need. And then their business gets to a point where they need funding to take it further. When my mother died, she left me with money. So I started to, I started the shelter and started it without going to traditional sources of funding. Then it got to a point where I needed funding to go further. And that's where everybody shut the door in my face. Not because I didn't have a viable project, project, but because of the color of my skin. Now look at that. So shout out to all you folks at Wayne County Save the White Women who came and toured my shelter and then refused to sign the agreement because I'm a black woman. Shout out to all of you. May you perish and your businesses dried up. And the people who support them, they got a $5 million grant from Mariska Hargitay's foundation. Perhaps needs to look into that. Right? Don't play with me. This is no joke. You can't just not continue and think that it is going to be business as usual. It's not. It's not just business as usual. Right? It's over and over again, my personal experience is replete with trying to access funding and encountered this racial barrier set up by white women. I told you about the case of the funding group, the funding group in Lansing, Michigan, run by a white woman, a nonprofit. She got the money from the organization in, in, in California who disbursed the funds to her. She was to disburse $75,000 each to four organizations in the Detroit area. And she decided she was going to hold on to the money. She has since changed the name of the organization and she has retired because she knew this day and time would come when something like this in this day and age is not tolerated. The name of the organization was CAPS, Community Alliance for Public Policy, right? They advocated for criminal justice reform. They have now changed to Michigan safe and just. And she retired. So you can't find her and find that organization because she knew who I am 
at the time was not going to forget that this was racist. Do you see what I'm saying? These are the real stories. These are stories that happened to me. These are the effects of it. And I am not afraid to tell people what has happened because it's not hurting me, but it is damaging to others because the people whom I could have helped with that money did not get the help. They're most likely languishing or probably found themselves dead in a ditch or probably still caught up in the vortex of criminalization that human trafficking is. Human trafficking is a criminal enterprise. And because it's a criminal enterprise, anybody who gets caught up on it should be tried on the RICO statutes, but far be from me to tell people what to do about their jobs. But it is a criminal enterprise that criminalizes people and has subject young women and women of color, young white women who are economically vulnerable to being targeted and to being misused. And here I come into this foray saying, hey, I can take in eight or 10 people at the time I had eight beds in five bedrooms. So it's not like I had people piled on one on top of the other. Getting, getting the funding would have just helped me with transportation. I was using my own car to take people around. I just wanted to help people because I had seen firsthand what that could have done. And they denied me funding. Breaking, and here are, some, here are some, some other factors, some social and cultural factors that are contributors to why women of color continue to be denied access to capital and funding. Breaking into the insular networks of banking and venture capital. These networks are insular. They're private. They're controlled by the old boys network. They're controlled by who joins which club. They're controlled by what schools did you go to, who plays golf with who, who's sleeping with who, as usual. So breaking into those networks is a navigation in social skills. So black women typically, you know, generationally don't have access to these networks because these networks are male and white. They're predominantly male and white. So if your mother didn't go to school at all, then you're not going to get help. And if your mother didn't go to school with somebody who is on the board, and if your father didn't golf, or plays golf with someone, chances are your children are going to suffer. I'm just putting it out there that this is what happens. This is why white people sometimes get ahead. is because their parents, typically, they have had generational wealth stacked up. So they've had access for a while. So they have access to the people who control events. I kid you not. This is why you all need to go to school. This is why you all need to create your own networks, join sororities and so on, because it will help your child when they get out. And it will help you when you get out. Because without the social skills, and without these networks and access to these networks, you ain't going to get anywhere. Because these are prominently, they're predominantly male and white. And I tell you this, I've even encountered from black men. I am black. Well, am I? Sometimes I don't feel like it because the way that people in my own community treat me, I, I begin to wonder. Even from black men, the opportunities are so narrow that you get to a bottleneck and they squeeze you out because there is only so much space in the arena and they want to be the ones who are there. So you find that black people are constantly jockeying for position, even within some of these arenas. Y'all need to cut it out. 
and settle down. Make sure that the pie is big enough to be distributed to everyone. And it is. If you just sit back and stop trying to hog the pie, you'll find that there are some parts of the pie you can't fit in. Stay in your own lane and specialize in what you do. You don't see me going into, in, 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 into foster care and talking about other things. No, I stay in my specialty, violence against women, human trafficking. That's it. That's what I know. That's what I'm familiar with. I stay in that lane. Do you see where I'm coming from? Now, people will sometimes come to me and say, you need to talk about this or you should focus on that a little bit. Just talk about it. It will bring awareness to it. But that doesn't mean that I'm going to start a whole project on it. You see what I'm saying? So a lot of the reasons why our people, why black women sometimes find access to funding is because the people who are lending money, what? they're white and they're male. Just like the woman who started Shea Radian. She's Nigerian. First of all, look at her name. So she walks into the local bank. The local bank is run by who? White male. Even though she had the track record and she had an account at the bank, they still didn't give her any funding, y'all. Because she didn't know anybody within those social networks. She didn't associate with the same people from the country club, right? She didn't know them, so they weren't going to lend her the money. Hello? There are banks that are discriminatory. Chase Bank in particular had to come out the other day all over the world, not just here in, in the U.S., but also in France. They had to create funding projects because they've been accused of being highly discriminatory. So banks are discriminatory with their loans. And without relationships, minority women start with a disadvantage. So without knowing, without having the relationship to ask daddy, or you can go and say, well, my father played golf with you, or my mom went to high school with you, or my mom went to college with you. You really don't know how to get started because in essentially everything is about relationships. Everything is about who you know. So far be it from you to think you can graduate college with a degree. Well, good luck getting started. Without relationships, it's going to be a tough one, right? So if your mom didn't go to school, your grandma and them didn't play golf, and your grandpa didn't play golf, it's going to be hard because what you encounter is that you find that these people are gatekeepers. And the gatekeepers in these institutions are predominantly white, and they're often male. So good luck to those of us who are trying to get started. And, and we won't even talk about the predatory lending practices of banks and how banks are predatorial on minority-owned businesses and how banks are predatorial when it comes to how minority businesses are kept. I mean, you're going to you, – you, you use the – you have the bank and – you have a business checking account. Try applying for a business checking account, y'all. I, I encourage you to do so. I've had business checking accounts for what now, 10, maybe just about 10 years, 10, 11 years now. Try, I, I didn't realize that. The, I remember the first time I applied. I kid you not. The first time I applied for a business checking account, and I was going to a conference where I was selling my books. So I said, dang, most people are going to want to pay by credit card. I wonder how that is done. So I called up the bank and I'm like, yeah, we want to do, you know, I want to be able to accept credit cards. Here are the, the, the uh, organization papers for my business because I worked in the field. So I understood, I understood business. So I understood that they needed to. And the, the gentleman on the phone uh, said, we, we typically run, before we uh, assign you a merchant number, we typically run a criminal background check. I was like, for what? 
well, there's a lot of business fraud associated with credit cards. I said, you've got to be kidding me. Are you inferring that I have the character of such a person? And he said, no, ma'am, it's just what is required. That's what they do with minorities. He was a black person on the phone. I kid you not. Right? So for most minority business owners, and this explains why. So a lot of folks who are coming out of jail, they can't open a bank account. And they, they certainly have a difficult time opening a bank account that is going to be business if it's going to be attached to any kind of business because there's all kinds of stuff going on with it. So imagine how much more difficult it is. So for black women starting business, they have the idea they probably, most black women, by the time they go to formalize the company, they already have done the research on the work. They have the clientele. They know what they're talking about. Trying to get funding. And I had to to figure, you know, I I found a difficulty in explaining it to my daughters because I didn't want the magnet, you, you know, the magnification of this and how deep and intrinsic it is, and how wide and broad that this racism is applied to business. But my youngest daughter is very observant. And we went to Midtown one day, and she came back, and she was like, I see all these people have yoga studios and so on. I said, well, it's real easy. They just take out a go to Chase Bank or one of those banks. They get a line of credit based on credit score, but it's based on the fact that they're white. So they get a line of credit that keeps them in business. And so if they stay in it long enough, they don't even have to turn over a profit because it takes five years before you start seeing a profit. Are you all hearing me? I said it's so much easier for them to start a business than it is for minorities to get started in business. We have predatorial lending practices by financial institutions. And then they're highly discriminatory in the disbursement of loans. So even when your credit score lines up with someone else who is white, guess what? You still pay a higher rate of interest. You're still going to be denied loans. It's too risky. Like the woman with the Shea Radiance product. Everybody now has Shea butter and everything. Well, she owns the market on it. Well, when she first started, they wouldn't give her. They told her she was risky. It was too risky and the bank couldn't see it. And she had the marketing and the clientele. This, these are the facts. These are not, when you hear these experiences, I know the tendencies for us to dismiss it that it can't be true because we can't imagine that people would be looking in your face and denying you simply based on the color of your skin. But here I am. Even if you read this story on CNBC and you say, well, that must happen in a faraway land. That must be a faraway idea that is not applicable. Here I am telling you what happened to me. These things happen. It's a reality of the times we live in. A lot of black women are starting businesses because they can't get work. They can't work in corporations. They're not hired. So they end up having to start on their own. They have to feed themselves. They have to make money. So they do this because they're not getting hired. And nowadays, with this at-will employment that is everywhere, they hire you and they fire you. You can't even take out a mortgage now or, or, or act like, well, this is, you know, this is something that I can do this or take this risk because your at-will employment can end and they hover over you with that to intimidate you into working longer hours 
imparting your best ideas to people who don't owe you anything because when they're going to fire you, they just you just walk right out the door. They, they, they come with security and embarrass you and walk you out the door. This is why when I hear people say, well, I'm going to leave there and I'm going to give them two weeks notice. I'm like, you don't owe them two minutes notice. You're going to leave there, tell them today, I'm not coming tomorrow. Call in. Best yet, you know you have another job lined up, go to the other job and call them and tell them, I'm not coming in. I'm done. I'm not coming back. You can give up. Why? Because they they don't owe you anything. They laugh at you. And especially when it comes to minorities. We pay the brunt of the price. There are minorities in field of medicine and science. You want to hear their stories about how impenetrable it was? You want to hear their stories about abject discrimination? I, just, I told you earlier this week in, in, in one of my podcasts about uh, DNA and how scientists I have not come forward and, and told people, told the public that the human genome is 99.5% identical. So there's no, that DNA cannot tell you race. It just tells you where your ancestors come from. But it can't tell you that you are black or white because DNA does not know race. It just knows where you come from. Those same scientists practice racism and discrimination on minorities and on women in particular. Yes, they did. They do it all the time. In fact, being a college professor is an ivory tower experience. You know why we call it ivory tower? Whites only. That's how it was. They barely admit blacks into it. Do you know there are more minority adjunct professors than there are full tenured professors? Did you know that? There's a black woman in Detroit who teaches physics at a Detroit area high school and whom I found out is one of the first persons in the state of Michigan who was admitted to the NASA program. She teaches physics. She has a master's in physics. Can't get a job in science, so she just teaches high school physics. Couldn't get a job at the time. She just stayed with it, didn't want to fight the discrimination, didn't want to do anything like that. See how ugly discrimination is? See how ugly it is? It's ugly, and it needs to go. Right? It has to stop. We can't just continue. And, and, and here's the thing. You want to know what is the good news? The good news is that in spite of the barriers and the obstacles, we keep pressing on. In, in spite of nobody donating, nobody doing anything, I'm still doing it because it will come eventually. You, it's almost as if it's testing your will to see if you're going to stay in the game long enough. There, the graveyard is filled with too many people who give up. I'm not one of them. So my role, what I do is I confront the racism. I am so sorry that at the time I didn't see it as racism. I just thought, they just didn't like my program, but there were other. Pro- then I found out no, it was just racism. It was channeled and directed at you, right? Hmm. Food for thought. Food for thought. We have a lot to think about. We have a lot to think about. We also have a lot of work to do. And by the way, just so that we are clear on this, um, a few minutes ago, before coming on air, I saw a story on Twitter where somebody sent a screenshot and posted it to Twitter of the Kentucky Republican Party 
uh, a member of the Kentucky Republican Party claiming that he's going to turn the state of Kentucky into a handmade tale. You know what is the handmade tale? The handmade tale was a movie that was shown on Hulu where women were stripped of our rights and we were raped randomly. And this was white women. Only white women were allowed to live with the, the white man. Every other woman was treated like a maid. She was cleaning the streets, uh, providing food and being raped without, without, without cause. So whoever is listening from the Republican Party, you want my support and you want me to endorse you and to say nice things about you? Uh-uh. You need to go, you need to go fix that. That's an image problem, and that's something I have deep issues with. Just letting you know, as conservative of the beliefs that I think I am, hell to the no. You can't put up stuff like that. You've got to control it. See, it comes from the top. You can't deny that. Somebody at the top said that for that man to think he can just put that out there on the Republican Party's website and think it's okay in the Republican Party of Kentucky. That is foolishness. This is the exact thing that we're talking about. Crazy and creepy. And you say things like that, I wonder why the polls are showing something else. Ain't about to happen, dude. Ain't about to happen. Good luck. Black women are owning more businesses. Racism still happens. Colorism is still happening. Right? And black women have no other resort but to start their own businesses. So when you see a black-owned business that's operated by a woman, when you see a Latino, Hispanic-owned business operated by a woman, you cannot begin to understand the, the, the courage that it took for her to stay in the game. Last night I was watching, uh, I think it was the night before, uh, they were interviewing some women in, North, in South Carolina. And I found out that they operate a beer, uh, a beer making facility in an old cotton mill. They're black. And I understood, I didn't have to ask how they got there or why they did that. I knew why. And I salute them for doing that. They're operating a beer distribution business, a beer making business in an old cotton mill. It's kind of like shoving it in the face of the ancestors. Oh, so you killed my ancestors and beat them up. But here we are. We took over the old cotton mill and we're making beer for distribution. I understood what it is. Entrepreneurship is entrepreneurship. But white males who dominate capital and who dominate banking, y'all need to cut us a break, cut us some slack. When we walk in, we know what we're doing. Give us the money. You take risks on people with yoga studios and people who just have a juicer idea and people who just want to sell watches. You can take risks on viable business enterprises. Come on. Let's do this thing, right? My name is Harriet Kamek. This has been Down to Earth. Thank you so much for being a part of my broadcast this morning. For more information on who I am and what we do, please go to my website, harrietkamek.com and the exodusfoundation.com, where we provide services to victims of human trafficking. In the meantime, you can go to my page on Anchor FM, become a supporter of this podcast. Yes, I'm a minority-owned business. I'm a woman, black woman in business. Please help us to do this. This is why... I have the requisite experience that I can talk about these issues. Thank you so much, everybody. It's Thursday. We are Teal Thursday. Be blessed, everybody. Thanks so much.
Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs>